I really want to contextualize how long ago Dallas won a Super Bowl. The number one Billboard song when Dallas actually won was the Macarena. And that, that's not a joke. Like, I, I'm dead serious. The number one Billboard song was the Macarena. And that's also followed by Boys to Men, Celine Dion, LL Cool J. Like, these are the artists that made up that Billboard. And a lot of the times people are like, oh, no, they're so dominant in the 90s. You really have to understand how long ago it was. People were doing the Macarena. Whatever. Fuck the Eagles. Hello and welcome to the Un-American Football Show. Uh, this week we continue our foray into the NFC. So this time out we're taking a look at the worst division football has to offer. It's the NFC East. Uh, joining us today and returning to the show after a little bit of a leave of absence, it's everyone's favourite cowboy. Alan, how are you doing buddy? Yeah, good to be back. Feels like forever since I've been on one of these. It, it's only three Three, four episodes, I think. It was the end. You, you hosted the uh, AFC South episodes, didn't you? I, I did. It was, it was a fun one. Um, you know, it was quite pleasant until it wasn't. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've been listening to all the uh, podcasts that have gone out the last few weeks and, yeah, I've been really enjoying hearing them without my voice. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Also helping us today to go through the divisional mire is the Washington fan and DC Tweet Team podcast host, Andy. Welcome to the show, mate. Hey, mate. How are you, Nate? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, brother. Uh, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Uh, you've had a bit of a day of it, mate. Are you glad to be here talking about your, your boys? Oh, my God. I've had, it's put it this way. I work for a brewery and the Euros, uh, the sunshine, of, uh, of they're, they're trying to kill me, I think, Nate. But I'm, I'm always happy to spend a little time uh, talking about the Washington football. I haven't even got time to do my own podcast, my friend. But I know, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I know you've reached out to me, so I wouldn't want to let you down. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. Mate, I really appreciate it. Um, OK, yeah. So the obvious question, the one we ask everybody in these divisional shows, how and why Washington? Uh, yeah, I've had this since I've uh, done the podcast. I've had this quite a few times. People have asked me. I, I spent some time out in DC in the late 90s. So we're probably talking like 98, 99. Uh, Dan Snyder had just taken over the team. Uh, I didn't know too much about the NFL and American football, to be honest with you. Um, and the family I was staying with, it was just a religion for them. Every Sunday, I was like, oh, what are you doing? They're like, we're watching football. And I was like, football? And they went, oh, sorry, yeah, American football. I just thought they were sitting down to watch like a Premier League game or something. And um, yeah, the love just started there, mate, to be honest. And it just grew and grew and grew throughout the years. Um, no one can ever call me a glory fan. I've never, I've seen our team play in the playoffs like three or four times, I think. Um, but yeah, I just fell in love with the team, the people, the city. I've, I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time in D.C. itself. Um, I've made some great, great friends over there. Um, I'm heading back out there in September for the first two games of the season. Um, I just fell in love with the place, fell in love with the team. And then, you know, from that's come like a podcast and, you know, where these, these things take you. And uh, here I am sitting talking to you, mate. So, yeah, it's all good. Nice, nice. OK, uh, next up, we've got Russ, uh, Danny Dimes' number one fan. Obviously, he's a Giants fan, um, which they're... A surprisingly well-supported team over here. Um, so, Russ, first of all, welcome to the show. And second of all, why the Giants, dude? 
Thanks, Nate. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so the Giants, the main reason is because English fans are known for being glory hunters. And when I first started watching the NFL, when it came on Channel 4, was when uh, Eli was crushing the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I think the first time, so it's probably, what, 15 years ago at this point, that we were actually a worthwhile team to watch. But, yeah, jumped on board thinking, this team must be the best team in football because they just won the Super Bowl. And then now you're sort of committed and you have to keep on watching it. And eventually it'll come out the other side. But at this point, it's just sort of sticking with it for the sake of sticking with it, I think. So it was just, you jumped on board with who was good and then it's been a slide ever since. Oh, 100%, yeah. It was <laughs> it was watching the Super Bowl, sort of seeing who was winning and then going, right, that's my team now then. And then as soon as I did that, everything fell apart. At least you've seen your team be good. <laughs> yeah, Alan's not quite what's a good Cowboys team yet. Um, and uh, f- finally... Um, but by no means least, we have uh, is a new co-host of the Pigskin Party podcast. Uh, it's Tommy. Welcome to the show, mate. Hey, thanks for having me. I feel really bad for you guys because now you're subjected to what Philly fans bring to the table, and we're pretty trashy in that forefront. So I'm hoping that I represent Philadelphia well over here. Uh, I mean, we I, I do know one um, Philly fan, and he's pretty tame, to be honest. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm quite look, I'm quite looking forward to you uh, really introducing us to to what the Eagles fandom is all about. Um, it's the same question we ask everybody, mate. Why Philly? Are you local or have you got no, someone to blame? That's a great question. I am actually a first generation, so my parents are immigrants, and then they settled right in Philadelphia. So I was born into it. I feel like um, it's just like a part of our blood now, all the main Philly sports team, but my main sport that I support the most is, of course, football. And so I'm really excited to uh, cheer on the Eagles, and I always used to joke around before the Eagles obviously won the Super Bowl saying, hey, as a parent, whenever I become a parent, I kind of have a cheat code right now because my children won't need to know what perseverance is. If you're an Eagles fan, you will learn to persevere because more often than not, they give you heartbreak. But I am happy to be here, and I am an unrelenting Eagles fan. I will not be uh, – there will be no apologies over here. Not, uh, and uh, rightly so, I don't think anybody should apologize for their team they support, even if you support the Patriots. Um, Right, let's uh, let's waste as little time as possible, and we're going to jump straight into the 2020 season, and we're going to start with the final divisional standings. So, uh, winning the division was the Washington Football Team with a seven and nine record, with a four and two divisional. Um, finishing second with the Giants with a six and ten and a four and two divisional. Then it was the Cowboys six and ten with a two and four divisional, and then bringing up the rear was the Eagles with the eleven, sorry, four eleven and one, with a two and four divisional record. What we're going to do is we're going to start out the season looking at the champions, looking at the divisional champions, Washington football team, see how they got on. So obviously, uh, my my bullet points for the season, really, that uh, Ron Rivera, new head coach, um, really seems to be turning things around in Washington. Um, last season was a was a big improvement. Um, it was... It, and it was a bit of a wild one for him as well. Obviously, like he had he had the diagnosis of cancer and he was battling that um throughout throughout the year. Um Washington had four starting quarterbacks throughout the year, which really doesn't help a team progress. <laughs> um on a on a on a very positive note, they hired the 
NFL's first black female assistant coach, Jennifer King, as an assistant running back coach. Mm-hmm. Um, Chase Young had an unbelievable rookie year um, and helped the D-line be the best unit in Washington. Um, although the defense did still struggle against some of the better O-lines in the league. Um, and then the return of Alex Smith, um, which, you know, was unbelievable. No one saw it genuinely happening, especially when, you know, he had 20-odd surgeries and potentially died, potentially lost his leg. To have him back even even a little was, was wild. Um, and then mm-hmm. won a division with a losing record, uh, hosted a playoff game against the eventual Super Bowl winners in Tampa. Um, Taylor Heineke led... Uh, the Washington football team in a fight in the second half. Um, but obviously mm-hmm. the Bucks first half advantage won them a you've got to be it's got to be said a surprisingly close close game. Um obviously there's a lot a lot to unpack there, mate, but um go at it. How do you how, how did you feel? I mean coming into the season it, I mean it couldn't get much worse after uh, you know we won three games the previous uh season Nate um as soon as I heard about the hire of Ron Rivera, I got excited. You know, this is a guy that knows what he's doing. Um, he brings that winning mentality. You know, he, he took uh, Carolina to a Super Bowl, uh, Cam Newton into an MVP. So we've needed for years, Nate, a, a winning mentality and a winning culture in Washington for far too long. It's been jobs for the boys. It's been, you know, head coaches. It's like a revolving door, you know, with the Jay Grudens of this, of this world coming in and, you know, Joe Gibbs 2.0 throughout the year. We've had so many Zorn. We've had so many coaches. We needed that stability and we needed that not just for on the field. We needed it off the field. And um, I feel with the appointment of Ron Rivera, Jason Wright, Julie Donaldson, we, we, we slowly, slowly got there. And um, that transpired on onto the field as well, um, really. Uh, we, we started off a little shaky, but then, you know, it, it took, a, we had the whole Dwayne Haskins thing. Like you say, we had four quarterbacks in one season. I mean, you know, it's only at Washington could that possibly happen. I think Ron Rivera knew from the get-go that Dwayne Haskins wasn't his man. I think he had to appease the owner for the first few games. He didn't want to walk into a franchise and just bomb the guy after two games. I think if he could have, he would have. I don't think he ever rated Dwayne Haskins as a as a quarterback. Um, I think he found out early on in his tenure about his off-the-field antics. I mean, he was more interested, I think, about being famous first and an NFL player second in a lot of people's opinions, including Ron Rivera. So he got rid of him. He went to back to, it was a big risk um, with Alex Smith. Obviously, we had Kyle Allen get injured. So that was the only reason that he, he had to put Alex Smith in in the end. You know, so you're now looking at your third quarterback in about four months. Um, so Alex Smith is now in, like you said in your in your piece there, Nate, he's, you know, not, not, none of us thought the man would be alive. To see him walk on a football field, um, that day against the Chargers was 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 uh, was truly remarkable. Uh, and then the team got on a little bit of a roll, and it's what Ron Rivera does. He brings in that winning mentality. You know, when you've got like a, a Chase Young, a Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, when you've got these kind of players in your in your team, that's that's the kind of team that you know you want to build around. And I think that's what Ron Rivera is slowly slowly doing. Yes, we won the division on a, on a losing record, and you won't believe the amount of. BS I get for that, but you know that's the NFC East. It's been has let's be honest, it's been a terrible division for years. It's never been uh, a Kansas City Chief division or a New England Patriots or something like that. You know, it's never been a competitive, competitive division. There's always you know we're not the first team to win it with a losing record, and we certainly won't be the last. 
But what I saw from the Washington football team, and I, I've been supporting, like I said, since the late 90s, is, is, is that it's the dreaded word, the culture change. On and off the field, I felt that, that we were getting more and more competitive each week. And going into this season, you know, everyone's saying we're the favourites to win, you know, the NFC East already. We haven't had a back-to-back NFC East division uh, champions, uh, I think, for the last eight or nine years. Maybe even longer. I, I think it's longer, yeah. yeah. I think it's even longer. It could be 10, 11 years since uh, a team went back-to-back in the NFC East, Nate. So... You know, uh, that's all down to Ron Rivera and what he's done. You know, you've only got to listen to the man talk to know that he he's all about winning. He's all about winning and he just wants to win and he wants to do it the right way. He wants to bring in the right mentality. He wants to bring in the right players. Um, so I, I think all I can see it now is, is good things for the Washington football team if our owner keeps his beak out and lets Ron Rivera run the football team. So uh, I think I think that could... I think that's going to happen, uh, and I think yeah, the, the, the future is bright for us, Nate. You know, and we can only build off last season's success. Last, I've, I've said many times on my podcast, this is the first real season for Ron Rivera. Last season, you think about it, mate. You know as well as I do, COVID. The poor man got cancer. Everything that went on throughout 2020 was all NFL teams. It was bad for mate. You know that better than you know most of, than any of us. But for a man to go through cancer in a COVID year and the restrictions on seeing your players, not seeing your players, being on Zoom, not being on Zoom. I think this is the real first season. He even said this himself, where you, you can really sense him sinking his teeth into this Washington football team. So I'm hopeful, mate. I'm hopeful. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, like yeah, like you said, the uh, that getting cancer in the middle of a season is is you know mm. is is, is, oh. is bad enough. But it, in it, it when it's in your the, the the periods that you're trying to get to know your new team, mm-hmm. trying to turn things around, the fact that they went. Like you said, in a in the COVID year where everything's messed up, there's no pre there's no camps before before the season. There's no preseason friendlies. There's nothing, you know, preseason friendlies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, there's no there's no preseason games. Um, yeah, it's it's so tough. It's so so awful. Um, and I'm so so delighted for Rivera that he's managed to he managed to do what he did in uh in washington it, it's it's really 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 impressive um russ the giants finished uh second in the division danny dimes had a had an improved year he had a quarterback rating of 78.4 up from 65.9 um obviously barkley went out at this stage typically early um with an acl tear <laughs> um and other than those two things, I genuinely can't think of anything else to bring up about your season other than that you missed out on the playoffs. Um, yeah. Help me out, mate. Yeah, so, so there's <laughs> not, I mean, you said it all. A lot of the record came in the division, which was terrible throughout the whole year. So there's not really much to say about sort of anything else. The only real sort of things I'd say were sort of worth noting was we had some great defensive line play. So... Uh, Leonard Williams had a great season. He's come back now. We signed him again. But apart from that, it wasn't really like you say Danny Dimes' quarterback rating went up <laughs> so marginally. Like it's not, it's not, it's not going to lead us there at this point. It was sort of a nothing season. And you can sort of tell from a, the second that Saquon went down, the season was sort of a write off from there, really. Yeah, I mean, when 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 he goes out and you have to rely on Devonta Freeman, you you might as well just give up all hopes of making the postseason. Um, I kind of felt, I, I 
I almost feel like uh, the Giants are probably a more well-rounded team without Barkley, just because so much of your offense goes through him when he is there that you're you're kind of easier to plan against um, because of your actual lack of quality <laughs> quality elsewhere. But would you would you agree with that, or am I just being dumb? And actually, Saquon Barkley is so good that you can't really look at it that way. So I, I agree to a point in that, yes, a lot of the offense does go through him. But then when you looked around the last couple of seasons at the rest of the offense, of course, it's going through. Like, where else would you want it to go through? You sort of look at it and you just go like, what do you want Danny throwing 40 passes a game? No, of course you don't. So at that point, you've got to focus on We've got one of the top five running backs in the league. Feed him the ball, especially when the quarterback's in the probably in the bottom five of the starters. You don't want... You don't want him throwing it 40 times. We've got a great receiving core. Like, there's some good receivers there. But ultimately, if the guy passing the ball, first of all, he can't pass. Second of all, the offensive line that is protecting him has been below par for a while. So at that point, you sort of think, well, there's not really a choice other than to feed him the ball. What else are you going to do? Yeah, it's it, kind of a tough one. I think your offense probably, it's really, like you said, I, think, I guess it's 12 or one and half a dozen of the other, isn't it? It's, it's your bets are with him. But defences actually try to kind of find it harder to play against you when he's not there because they just have no idea what you're going to do. I think you make a really good point on becoming a little bit more one-dimensional if Saquon's involved. I am a big Saquon Barkley fan because, like I said, I'm from Philadelphia. Saquon Barkley's from Penn State, so I kind of followed his career pretty closely even after he got drafted. It did break my heart when he went to the Giants because I knew they were going to ruin his career, but that's not here nor there. But when he is playing one of... The biggest disappointments is, yes, it does go through uh, Saquon a lot, but at the same time, he's just so good, it makes everyone's job easier. I'm sure Danny Dimes is really happy when Saquon's playing because people can't really play him the way that, or the defense can't really play Danny Dimes the way if Saquon's on the field. But my biggest concern is, yes, the Giants' defensive line play was uh, actually a big surprise for me. I, they did, they performed a lot better than I thought they would. But one of my biggest concerns is their offensive line. Even when Saquon Barkley was playing, and I apologize because I can't remember the exact game that comes out, but I remember he had like, what, like, 13 carries for like six yards and i was like okay i'm not saying i'm athletic because i'm not i am not in shape actually i am in shape i'm a circle but if i feel like i could get the ball and just fall forward i would match saquon barkley's kind of gains of what he did that game so it's really concerning to me where i would kind of joke around saying oh he is uh i mean the giants are going to ruin his career but that's kind of what i have been seeing and he's always had durability issues even throughout college so I don't know. I, I'm really hoping for the sake of Saquon, it does get better. But at the same time, just kind of seeing how the Giants are building out their team with, you know, spending a first with uh, Tony and things like that. I'm just not too sure yet. I think it's been interesting how much draft capital they've used on the offensive line as well over the past few years for it still to be in the state that it's currently in. Um, and you're right, Tony, about durability issues with Saquon. Um, but I guess there is a limit as to how much different would his career be if he'd been drafted elsewhere, which had a better offensive line. He still might have received as many um, as many hits as he has in the Giants, maybe slightly different type of hits, but uh, the right might have been on the ball from the beginning, unfortunately, for Saquon. But it's a shame because he's an outstanding talent. Yeah, it, like 
don't get me started on past drafts and some of the draft picks on the offensive line. I'm, in some, like you just talked about Tony, and in some ways I'm glad that we've gone for that sort of player just because it means that we can't bust out on another first-round defensive lineman. But, yeah, it, you need to give him some help. If he's going to keep taking the sort of damage that he's done, like he's already proven that he's not particularly durable over the last couple of years. If he's going to keep... We, we've, if you look at the lineup that's sort of projected to come out come September, it's not going to get any better when he comes back from the ACL. It's only going to get worse. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough tough spot for somebody who's so uh, so already so early on in his career, so beaten up, isn't it? Um, it's such a shame because he's a he's a prodigious talent, um, and it would be great to see him go and tear it up. But I genuinely fear that. We've already seen the best of him, and he's gonna he's gonna end up falling out of the league just because he can't stay healthy. Um, and uh, we on that bum note, we're gonna move on to the uh, Cowboys. Um, you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to bear with me on this one, Alan. Cause I've got I've I've got a lot of notes. Um, so Dak obviously break his leg in October, leaving Andy Dalton and several other QBs to 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 step in and deliver absolutely nothing. Um, they trailed by 14-plus points in a franchise record seven consecutive games. They conceded three safeties in their first eight games. Um, they blocked a pat, which then resulted in their opponent scoring two points. Um, they didn't score a touchdown in 16 opening drives. Uh, they had five consecutive touchdowns thrown by five different passes uh, last season. They lost two games to interceptions in the red zone, in the sorry, in the end zone in the final minute, which is heartbreaking. I've been there, it's it's disgusting. Um they failed to beat a single team last season with a winning record, with their best result coming against the seven and nine Minnesota Vikings. Um and this season marks twenty-five years since the Cowboys last won the Super Bowl, which is quite an achievement. Um so it's a, it was a historic year for for the Cowboys, particularly on defence. Alan, uh, what happened? <laughs> Historic's a very polite way of putting it. It was uh, it was a bit of a comedy of errors in many ways. The defence was horrific, historically bad. Uh, the special teams also dreadful. Uh, you know, the record would have been even worse. <laughs> we hadn't won many when. Dak went down, but it would have been even worse um, had he gone down sooner than that. And in fact, we almost lost that game to the Giants, I think it was. Um, as soon as Dalton came in, he only managed to sort of claw us over the line. It was, sort of, it was a bit like watching a marathon where someone tripped up about 50 metres from the line and decided to crawl over the, the finish line while trying to overtake everyone else. Um, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing, really, um, on all fronts. It was, it was, a, it was an ugly season. Um, I don't really know what to say, really. Apart from that, it was it was truly dreadful. Um, the, the the backup quarterback situation. I was all right with Andy Dalton as a backup. Um, definitely not as a starter. Um, even Chicago have sort of learned that that, that trick. I think over the last few months. Uh, but yeah, when he when he went down, it was definitely game over. Um, the likes of Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert were names that I never thought I'd ever know. Uh, but there you go, I do, and uh, not necessarily a good one. I think one of the, one of the most painful games I've ever watched though, was Andy versus Tommy's Eagles, um, and it was just it was just like trying to find a way every single play of not having Ben DiNucci throw the ball. It was it was it was horrific. <laughs> um, 
and it was about 1am that it kicked off as well I think from UK time so it was a very late night or early morning depending on which way you look at it and it was yeah it, it was bizarre it, it, it was shambolic in every single way really and it was so bad that I seem to remember you trying to consider picking up Ben Danucci before that game. Yeah, well, but so, sometimes on fantasy football, you you say things and say you're going to do things just to see what other people do and how they react. Um, I do it a lot to Nate. Sometimes he falls for it and sometimes he doesn't. Recently, we did a fantasy basketball and he uh, he didn't fall for it, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Who who won the fantasy basketball? You did. It was a yeah, yeah, very good effort. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, he he was particularly bad. Garrett Gilbert was almost passable, I guess, as like a third choice quarterback. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think the only way is up. But I, I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, twenty five years of uh, evidence suggests otherwise, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, my favourite thing about the, the, uh, the, the Cowboys season was Steve Levy saying uh, this is the worst 16-play drive I have seen in a long time in the uh, 31-10 points lost to the Cardinals. Because like a 16-play drive would normally suggest that you've made some good progress down the field and you're gonna, gonna, you've, you've, you've used the clock cleverly and you're going to score a touchdown. And uh, yeah, we all, I mean, we all know that when Andy Dalton's got the ball in hand, it's probably not going to go very far, but... Uh, so I was fully prepared. I have so much ammunition that I rode up against Dallas. And then I heard Alan speak and I've become incredibly empathetic because as you're kind of disclosing how the season went, you're like, it was historically bad. This was bad. And then Alan's like, you're right. They are bad. I'm just like, oh, I can't. I can't try to murder someone who's already dead. That's not fair. So I will hold off on some of my notes until he starts to... uh man up a little bit more and say, no, this is America's team, whatever the heck that means. When he starts to, um, you know, show off a little bit more of the brawn, then I'll bring out the ammunition. But for right now, I just want to put it out there. As an Eagles fan, I'm sure we're going to obviously get to them next, but nothing brings me more joy, even when the Eagles are bad, when Dallas is bad. And everyone says, oh, well, Tommy, Dallas lives in your head, run free. I say, no, you're absolutely right. Because sometimes when our seasons go as bad as it normally does, I just get great joy seeing our biggest rival also fail with us. So in a way, it was still a fun season for me. There's a lot of joy if you have that perspective in the AFC East at the moment. So um, <laughs> misery loves company. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. It's just the NFC East sort of mentality. It's just as long as Dallas loses, the re- the other three of us are all happy. It's like, first thing I check, right, did the Giants win? No. If yes, did Dallas lose? <laughs> Yeah. That's the first thing that we all check, just straight. Yeah, I, mean, I must, I must admit, the uh, the second result I look for after after uh, if I haven't seen a Colts game is uh, is is the is the Pat- Patriots and then the Cowboys and then the rest of the AFC South because I dislike them that much. Um, oh no, the one thing I did want to add in just to kind of put my final nudge against the Cowboys because I know I said I was going to be a little polite, but as an, I can't. So all I was going to say is Dallas is not. A football team they're a great marketed franchise but as a football team whoo i mean they are not good and they have not been good since like the 90s and just, just to put that into context it's 2021 the 90s was like 20 plus years so it just 
sometimes when people say, oh no, they're good in the 90s. I'm like, I don't think you guys really understand how long ago that was. And so I really want to contextualize how long ago Dallas won a Super Bowl. The number one Billboard song when Dallas actually won was the Macarena. And that, that's not a joke. Like, I, I'm dead serious. The number one Billboard song was the Macarena. And that's also followed by Boys to Men, Celine Dion, LL Cool J. Like, these are the artists that made up that Billboard. And a lot of the times people are like, oh, no, they're so dominant in the 90s. You really have to understand how long ago it was. People were doing the Macarena. It's very bizarre, isn't it? Um, and I mean, I was—I didn't choose the Cowboys as my team. My dad bought me an Aitman jersey in the '90s when he was visiting the US for work, uh, and they're not really the sort of team I'd normally go for. I wouldn't normally support a team that's um, big, bold, brash, uh, marketing geniuses. Because um, it, it, it makes no sense that a team that has been so unsuccessful for such a long time can be so overwhelmingly popular and marketable um it, it's it's amazing it's sort of like a um it's not it's kind of it's a paradox it's, a, it's not paradoxical yeah yeah um I, I, we're gonna round off the uh the cowboys chat with the other great line from that uh 31 10 game don't be confused by the 31 10 score tonight it wasn't even that close it's true uh and then uh so so Incredible commentary from Steve Levy again, but uh, we're going to move on to the Eagles. And much like the Giants, I don't really have a great deal to say about uh, about about the Eagles, other than obviously Carson Wentz was benched in favour of Jalen Hurts um, because he'd gone from MVP to, I mean, LVP really, wasn't it? Um, they uh, they sacked Doug Pedersen at the end of the season, replaced him with Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni who uh, a lot of people are incredibly underwhelmed with off of the back of his uh, his few presses. Um, and then uh, they hired the Ch- the Chargers offensive coordinator, uh, Shane, I don't know, Steichen. I don't know how to say his name. That's a punt. Um, what do you make of uh, the benching of Wentz? Um, and do you think you'd have been better sticking with him for the season or is, was it the right time to blood your, your, your new talent? So I'm... Been, uh, my friends and everyone that knows me have known me as a pretty adamant Wentz defender. So I've always found myself coming to his defense saying, well, no, the team is always hurt. Or did you see what happened? But it, at some point, the excuses have to end. And that's just I don't know if the um, athletic trainers or I don't know what they do in Philadelphia. I don't know how training camp goes. I don't know if everyone just kind of sits there and like, oh, we don't really need to run or do any conditioning. Let's just play football on the game day and see what happens, because Similar to how it happens over in, I was going to say San Diego, but LA Chargers, they're always just run with a bunch of injuries. Same with San Francisco. They just had a handful of injuries as well. I feel like the Philadelphia Eagles, although, and it might be biased, they might not match him with just the pure amount of injuries, but significant impact to star player injuries, I feel like are pretty big when it comes to Philadelphia, especially when it comes to offensive line. And I was going to say skill position players, but we have no one on our team that is actually skilled. That is in any skill position as of last year at least and so 
when you say, uh, what did I take with the Wentz benching? I thought it had to come about anyway, because from kind of the whispers in the bushes and things like that, and things that you heard from the locker room, people always said, oh, a lot of players didn't back up Carson Wentz as much as they did with Foles. And oh, man, I don't even want to talk about storyline because everyone in Philadelphia was on one team or the other. And so long story short, the dumpster fire that you guys have kind of been perceiving in Philadelphia is 100% true, except it's magnified. I'm not sure if you guys know of kind of the sports radio that happens in Philadelphia. And I'm sorry, this is not going to sound politically correct at all. But if you ever wanted to know what cancer sounds like in an audio format, it is Philadelphia <laughs> talk show radios. Wentz could literally have a game where he throws a four wow. touchdowns, no interception. They're like, I don't understand why he's not MVP already. I don't understand why he doesn't have seven rings. Next game, he could literally throw an interception and be like, cut him. He's dead to me. Like, I, I want to capture his entire family, throw him in my basement. And I want him to suffer. I'm like, yo, you guys got to call him. But that's how Philadelphia fans are. So when the benching happened, it was super polarizing in Philadelphia. Everyone was freaking out. But I was personally a huge Jalen Hurts fan, even before we drafted him. On my draft board, I had Jalen Hurts ranked pretty high. And ironically, when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts, I dropped it. I was like, oh, well, we're, well, he's screwed. He can't overcome Philadelphia. No one can overcome Philadelphia. Because like I mentioned in the chats before, no one hates the Philadelphia Eagles as much as Philadelphia Eagles fans. <laughs> oh, I, I, do you know what? I I absolutely love the enthusiasm with which you both love and hate your team. It's absolutely magnificent. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm struggling to come up with anything else about your season. You got a tie. Americans hate ties. Like you got a tie with the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals are absolute trash. Um, even even with Jay Burrow in there, he's he's going to have to be a miracle worker to turn that franchise around. Um, How do you feel about that? Were you raging? As soon as our season started, the uh, apologist in me came out. We lost to the Washington football team. But I was like, okay, you know, Chase Young's a real deal. Their defense is really great. Our team's a little rusty. First game, that's fine. Then we lost to the LA Rams. I was like, that makes sense. I mean, Aaron Donald and all the playmakers they have, uh, Jalen Ramsey, there's no way we could beat them. And then the Bengals came along, and I was like, all right, finally, let's get that first win. This is the momentum we need. We could use this to, you know, beat San Francisco, uh, PA versus PA Pittsburgh Seals. We could beat them. Ravens will be tough. We'll figure it out. But then we tied, and I was like, oh, it's over. The, the whole season's over. And all my friends were like, Just calm down. It's only three games. Yeah, you guys haven't won one, but it's two losses and a tie. And I was like, you don't understand. You have to look at the rest of our schedule, and it's rough. We played, like I said, uh, San Francisco, who obviously had a down year, but we played Pittsburgh, Baltimore, uh, Cleveland Browns, who are great, Seattle Seahawks, who the Eagles can never beat, the Packers, Arizona. The, like The rest of our schedule was loaded, so when we tied against a team that we're supposed to win, I knew it was completely over, and yeah, I was definitely, definitely raging. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, it, it was a really tough. It was a really tough schedule. I'm, I'm sort of a, if if when I look back at it, I'm amazed you actually got four wins. If I'm honest, like you you, you could have easily ended that with with Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I think the teams that we actually ended up beating, we shouldn't have like the San Francisco 49ers, Yes, they had a down year, but overall their team is just better than ours. So we beat them by like five points, which isn't much. So when we won that, I was surprised, and then. Of course, we'll win a couple against the Giants or Cowboys or in division. That makes sense. But the only other game we won out of division was against the Saints. And I was like, all right, well, that 
once again, doesn't make sense. I understand there's other factors. It wasn't just Saints at full strength versus Eagles full strength. So there's a lot of factors. But if you were to look at our schedule and I, and I were to ask anyone here, be like, all right, we win four games. Pick out four teams that we would beat. It probably wouldn't be those two outside of division games. So kind of like you said, I'm very happy that we actually won four. But at the same time, that kind of talks about how self-deprecating we can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, let's let's move on to the uh, the off season, and we're not going to go through every move, but we're going to have a look at the notable transactions. Um, so, uh, because we spoke about the Giants for what felt like one minute, we'll start with the Giants. Um, and there's not been much movement worth not talking about. <laughs> um, so they uh, they they tagged uh, uh, Leonard Williams. Um, they retained Isaac. Uh, Yidem and uh, cornerback Isaac Yidem, and they uh, they also retained uh, interior uh, Austin Johnson, um, Golden Tate, Dion Lewis, Devonta Freeman, Jabal Sheard are all gone, uh, and then drafting they've brought in Kadarius Tony, uh, Aziz Aljulari, which is a big big pickup. That's a great move, and then uh, Aaron Robinson, um, which is a pretty solid move as well. Um, so. Uh, Russ, uh, what do you know of your new guys? Are you happy with what you've seen leave? And uh, you, you you probably answered that last question with this one. How concerned are you? So <laughs> it's an easy sort of, I think that you've sort of undersold it there a little bit. Um, so the draft, admittedly, so I was very happy, not so much with the players that we drafted, but the positions that we got them in and the moves that... Uh, Dave Gettleman made to get them. So picking at 11, trading back when Fields was still on the board. What I think if we were still there at 11 and Devonta Smith hasn't gone off the board just before that, we would have taken Devonta Smith at 11. But after he's gone, trading back and getting a first for this season, especially when we might be in the market for a quarterback after this season, that's more of a hopeful sort of point rather than um, actually thinking it. But we might be in the market, so having that extra first could be in a good position to trade up or... Uh, we could potentially be picking in the top five and not need to trade up. But and then there's no excuses for Danny now with the sort of free agency and the um the draft. There's no excuses. We've brought in Carl Rudolph from the Vikings. Or was he at the Vikings last season? He was definitely from the Vikings at some point. Bringing in Kenny Golladay on the sort of a four year bringing in Devontae Booker even as the sort of backup running back. How did I miss Kenny Golladay? Of course. Sorry, I was I, I, was, I was just giving over that. It's fine. I was scouring through the free agency moves, and I basically the ones I pick out as if they're on big money or they played a high percentage of um, snaps last year. They're the people I mention, and just Kenny Golladay just slipped through that crack somehow. Colossal money and definitely overpaying him. He got paid a lot, but he didn't do many snaps. I'm just saying, off. It's a big if, but if. He's completely healthy going into next season. It's exactly the sort of outside threat that we needed. It's sort of what we were we were lacking going into last season. And I think a lot of these acquisitions are just going right, Danny. If it's if if you're the real deal, there's no like there's no excuse for weapons now. We can go into a full two tight end set. We've got we can go four wide, and there's options even in the four wide. Do you think the fourth option is probably Tony with Shepard, Slayton, and Golladay? You think Tony's probably the fourth option in the four wide? There's no excuse for not having a target there. I think Tony slips in at least a third there, but you know I don't watch the Giants all that much, so 
my my knowledge of your team isn't as high as that. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, even even if he he's not there, not always the healthiest player. Uh, Golladay's a huge upgrade on Golden Tate. What the Giants are doing sort of makes me think, reminds me a little bit of what the Cowboys were doing with Dak really not that long ago when, you know, when people were playing Dallas, they'd say, put the ball in Dak's hands and that's the way to beat them. And um, at that point, the wide receivers all started leaving. Uh, Alan Hearns was the <laughs> was the number one uh, wide receiver for a while. Um and then they realise, OK, if we're actually going to stick with this quarterback, we need to try and see, are they going to be the real deal or not? Um, admittedly, the Cowboys, when they were unsure if he was the real deal or not, they had Zeke that was sort of running the show for them. And Saquon's not necessarily been able to stay healthy in that way for the Giants. But it's, yeah, it's very reminiscent of what was happening in the Cowboys just not very long ago for the Giants. So it'd be interesting to see whether he actually makes it out um, I'm not sure he will. I don't think you do either, Russ. So I'm not advocating for this plan. But I just want to say that I think that's what the plan is, but I'm not advocating it for it in any way because they've gone out and they've spent all this money on Golladay and then you look at the offensive line that Danny Jones is playing behind and they've let go some key pieces from that line and then not replace them. Unless I've missed some under-the-radar signing for that there's a key backup or something like that that I've missed. You look at that offensive line that was slated to go into next season with, and you think it doesn't matter who you're throwing to. He's going to have about two seconds to throw it. Yeah. I just kind of want to uh, add to that. I agree. I feel like the giants have been doing a great job trying to cater around Danny dimes and ensuring that he has all the weapons that he needs, but according to, and I don't know how close you guys follow it, but I feel like it's at least a good resource. Uh, I know a lot of you say it's a good resource if it makes my team sound good. And I'm talking about PFF. That's kind of one of the top notch sites that a lot of industry experts a lot rely on. They actually just released like the top 32 offensive lines entering 2021. And I'm sorry, but the giant, Giants were ranked dead last 32 out of 32 of offensive lines heading into the season. But the ironic part is at least the good thing for uh, Daniel Jones is there's four games right off the bat every single season that he could just write off or he'll have a pretty decent game. He always beats Washington. I don't know why they have a really good defensive line. But he just has a way of just beating them. He has their number. I don't know what it is. And he's pretty much guaranteed to rush for 100 yards every time he plays Philadelphia. I Once again, I don't know why that big goofball, he just runs down and everyone on our defense looks like they have like molasses in their cleats. I'm like, just catch him. Like he looks like a newborn giraffe trying to run. And yet he's just wrecking us. But in a way, it looks like they're doing all the right moves to try to make sure that he can get the ball out pretty quick. Like we said, Galladay, yes, he might be overpaid, but he is a substantial upgrade. As soon as he went to uh, the New York Giants, he was immediately the best pass catcher uh, right when he entered. And But the question all comes down to, well, does he have the protection, protection that he needs? But according to PFF, it says it's not looking too likely. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I was just looking at the... Uh... I was just looking at the Giants line and it is awful. Thomas Andrew, left tackle. Shane Lemieux, left guard. Nick Gates, centre. Will Hernandez, right guard. Matt Pert, right tackle. Uh, I'm really struggling with what to say about them because it is so dreadful. You you did miss one player off that list, which is... Probably a key player in the line, but it's still not much better. Which Nate's older? He's gone, isn't he? 
No, I'm pretty sure we bought him back on a one year or at oh, least a short term contract. Yeah, is it maximum uh, two I years? Thought, I short term contract. I thought he was gone, full like proper gone. I thought he was unrestricted free agent and not coming back. He was an unrestricted free agent, but he was bought back. Uh, I think he went into free agency and realised that no one will <laughs> overpay for him because uh, he's. I think he's going to be our starting left tackle. I genuinely think he'll be the starting left tackle. I mean, I'm not sure that's an upgrade there either. To be honest, Nate Solder is wank. Just as well, Danny Dimes is so good at holding on to the ball under pressure, really, isn't it? <laughs> to be fair, there is something. There is something like as much as we bag on, the, like they've invested all this money in the offense. The sort of key draft pick that you didn't mention because you sort of mentioned the first rounder is the second round pick, Azizo Jalari. So, oh, I did mention who, him. Huge, did huge, you, okay, pickup. brilliant pickup. Yeah, and this is why I, I re- like as much as offensive line is still horrendous. The actual draft as a whole, we addressed a few key, like with the first few picks that we had, because we sort of only, I think we only ended up with six picks after all the trading down. Um, a lot, I think we'll have about 10 next year, but I think we only end up with about six this year. But I think picking him up in the second and then picking up Aaron Robinson, he, I can't remember if you picked him in the third or the fourth, but it was the next draft pick at least after that, a corner. It's just sort of small changes that you think like, right, so at least then we know next season you go like, you look at this team and if it sort of turns anything out, you go, right, we've got key sort of areas to pick up in next off season of going, right, fix the offensive line. That's the sort of main glaring area. And like last season, you sort of go into it and go, the secondary's a bit ropey. Linebacker's got some holes. The only real sort of thing holding the defence together was sort of the defensive line. And then we've sort of lost uh, Tomlinson out of that. So being able to sort of look at it and go, okay, so the defence is looking a lot more solid, if not spectacular, at least solid. Hopefully we can go into next off season and just address, depending on how Danny did, quarterback, offensive line, it's very clear. And then sort of hopefully a playoff pick. I just wanted to reiterate what great business I thought it was by the Giants to move down um, and accept that trade from the Bears um, into the 11th spot. Uh, I think it really does set you up nicely for future years. As you say, I think this year coming is going to be a little bit too soon for the Giants. But in a couple of years to come, um, it could be a really interesting and exciting team to watch. Actually, thinking about their wide receiver core as well. They've got some fantastic players that they were sort of rolling out as sort of what would be were there one obviously the ones and twos which are now sort of potentially slipping down to their threes and fours um you know if, if tony can hit the ground running and Galladay's fit again they do have a fantastic wide receiver group it'd be interesting to see how they can move that forward in, in the years to come as you say if they can address those offensive line issues and you know, big question mark question mark over danny yeah, uh, right. We're going to move it on to uh, let's, let's move it on to the Eagles off season. Um, again, obviously, I've already I've already made a comment about the fact that Doug Peterson has uh, moved on and that Nick Sirianni's been brought in, which I think is a is a nice move. Obviously, there's the Frank Reich connection there with him coming in from Indy, and you know, Frank Reich was clearly the main person responsible. In that, in that front office for the success in that Super Bowl year. Definitely not Peterson. Peterson. Um, player-wise, they brought in Raven Clark, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, and the uh, the somehow still managing to get contracts, Joe Flacco. Um, Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Mills are out and drafted. They've done some fantastic business with uh, Devonta Smith and uh, Landon Dickerson. Two very good pickups, um, and uh, uh, Tommy, I'm sure that I've missed 
plenty, and you're gonna you're gonna pull me up on it as Russ did. But uh, how's your off season, mate? How's it been treating you? No, I feel like you got a really solid overview because I'm not going to nitpick be like, oh, you forgot about this player. But the one additional person that I definitely want to add that was a huge upgrade for us is we finally cut Alshon Jeffrey. Oh, my God. He was just dead weight on our team. Like, people forget his name because he's been on our roster forever, but he play, he's like he has like a snap count in his head. He's like, all right, how many snaps do I have to play to get my full contract? Oh, that many? All right, cool. Now I'm going to pull my hammy and pretend I'm hurt or whatever. But he was also cut same with Malik Jackson, but that's all like kind of more cap casualties and things like that. Like that but the biggest thing of course was that whole carson wentz trade we got a third rounder in 2021 a conditional 22 uh first from indianapolis and things like that but overall it was kind of a pretty solid season once again uh, i am fully anticipating this upcoming season due to kind of the offseason move that we made is going to be more of a quote-unquote rebuilding phase but a lot of the moves still brought me a lot of joy so i'm not going to take up too much time here but i want to paint a context of let's fast or rewind to week 17 when the eagles were playing um washington and everyone was watching, especially Giants fans. They were watching because if the Eagles beat them, they get into the playoffs. And the Eagles pretty much were playing for nothing. They were just playing for pride. And so what happens? The Eagles take a pretty solid, not a solid, they take the lead against Washington. And then we pull Jalen Hurts and put in Nate Sudfeld. And everyone's like, what? Me watching biggest smile. I was like, we're locking up the number six overall pick and we're keeping the Giants out of the playoffs. This is the greatest night of my 2020 life because we're screwing over an NFC team, even though we're letting Washington go in. Oh, and quick point, I don't have many ill feelings to Washington. I just hate Dan Schneider like everyone else in the world, but they're kind of my pity team being like, oh, you made playoffs? Good for you. Whereas if it were the Giants or the Cowboys, I'd be mad. So yes, I guess that is an insult. So that kind of painted a context leading into the draft. So now we're drafting. Eagles are on the clock. We already traded back with Miami. So now they have the number six pick. So what do we do? You know, we call up Dallas, probably talking on the phone saying, hey, either the Giants are going to have Devonta Smith or we're going to get Devonta Smith. Except if we get Devonta Smith, you could just trade with us and we'll throw you in like a free third rounder. And they're probably like, eh. All right, cool. We don't even want Devonta Smith anyway, and the player that we want will probably be there with your pick because we're only trading back like two picks. So we leapfrogged the Giants, got the wide receiver who I believe they wanted. This tilts the Giants, and now they're like, crap. All right, I guess we'll trade back now and then pick up Tony. I don't know. So it's the offseason might have been not have been as sexy, but for like the pure NFC hatred I have for every single team made me so happy because I feel like the Eagles have screwed the Giants so often. And even though I don't hate the Giants that much, but I still hate them enough to be like, hey, we still don't like you. But the fact that I feel a little bit dirty that we had to do a deal with Dallas, but still just to screw them over, it reminds me of that meme where the two hands get together and it says Eagles fans, Giants fans, and in the middle just says screwing the Giants. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. So overall, it, it has been a lot of change, especially the whole Carson Wentz fiasco. But overall... I'm smiling. I was going to ask you how you felt about that trade with Dallas. Did you feel, do you feel, you, you saw the benefit out of it as opposed to feeling too dirty by the sound? Yeah, I, at first, when I heard that Dallas was trading, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder who it is. And then I found out it was the Eagles. And I was like, oh no, the Eagles probably traded up so much because Jerry Jones, like, I ain't doing anything with Philly unless they give me a lot. So then when I heard the like deal of what it was, I was like, oh wait, that's it? 
I was so happy. But at the same time, I still feel a little bit dirty till this day. But thank you, Dallas. That's the only time I will thank you. But now let's just hope that the Bunta Smith pans out. Uh, I wanted. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I wanted to bring. I wanted to bring it up separately to everything else. And obviously, I'm a Colts fan. I want to talk Carson Wentz. Um, do you think you you got robbed a little bit by uh, by by value in the trade, or do you think you uh, you you probably got a good deal in it? I think the public perception of Wentz is a lot lower than the consensus of what like NFL GMs feel. And so even with the trade, I understand it. I don't think we got slighted, even though you could easily bring up saying, oh, well, Mohamed Sanu went for a second. You're telling me Carson Wentz, who could be still, uh, you know, a franchise quarterback, blah, blah, blah. That's all you got. I understand that argument, but the Eagles were in no position to kind of be like, give us more. And then Indianapolis could be like, or not, we'll just wait. And then when you get no offers, we'll come back with the same offer or we'll just take out a couple more because you're making us wait kind of thing. So I definitely understand. But, and this is me not trying to butter you up. I honestly think the whole league is sleeping on Carson Wentz. And I know that's kind of ironic. I'd be like, he had one of the worst seasons uh, last year as a quarterback with just quarterback rating, efficiency, interceptions, and just turnovers in general. But I keep, I guess still making excuses because that team that the Eagles are fielding out last year was horrendous, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It was embarrassing. I can't imagine many quarterbacks being able to be successful with that type of situation. And now I just look at where Wentz is in Indianapolis with the offensive line, uh, be reunited Frank Wright, the uh, offensive weapons, a great defense to put him in good field position. I'm just sitting here thinking Wentz, I have no ill feelings towards you. I want you to play well. Let's see if you could kind of prove your doubters wrong kind of thing. So I am excited to see how that turns out. And also because of that conditional first, I want him to do well because that means we will get that first. Yeah, I I, I can't wait to hear what Alan says here. I was just going to say that I'm happier with Carson Wentz outside of the division. I don't have any ill feeling towards Carson Wentz. I thought you know, when he was on the potentially MVP-bound season, he was a fantastic player, um, which I unfortunately had to suffer watching at times. Um, but yeah, last year he was terrible. Um, he had a worse quarterback rating than Ben DiNucci. Let's bring up Ben DiNucci again. Why not? It's the second time he's been mentioned on this podcast, and it's the last time, hopefully. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly confident that he's gonna, he's gonna re- re- recapture some of that MVP form. I'm not expecting it straight out you know this isn't a cults podcast at the moment so let's move up let's move off of that i was just gonna ask tommy's opinion of the running back room in philadelphia because uh, miles sanders was particularly hyped up by a lot of people would have an outstanding year last year suffered with injuries um boston scott actually was decent in spots um, and now added carry on johnson do you think that's a good addition or do you think it's an unnecessary one. No, that's a great question. And I don't mean to take this in a comedic route, but it's a perfect microcosm of what Philadelphia as a team is. It's just a dumpster fire. Like we think Miles Sanders is this <laughs> sexy Ferrari where we're like, okay, he's gonna, we're gonna feed him the ball. He's hyper efficient. He ripped off giant 70, 80 yard runs against Pittsburgh, against New Orleans. He has it there, even with all the injuries. And then we add Jordan Howard, 
Kenneth Gainwell, who we got in the draft, who I was very high on until the Eagles drafted him again. Then I dropped them because I hate the Eagles. Uh, and then Boston Scott, who was unfortunately pretty solid, but that's not a knock on him. That's just how desperate the Eagles were for running backs. It's almost like Howie Roseman's looking at the roster and be like, all right, we're going to be decimated with injuries again. So let's just get as many. We're not taking the Texan or the um, Houston Texans route where we're just getting a bunch of really old veterans. At least we're still getting who I hopefully think can be serviceable. So it's, I don't know. I was kind of high on Sanders when we drafted him until he got to the Eagles. And then I said, oh no, this is not going to end well to him. And so far I've been kind of right because everyone just keeps talking about his potential but as an Eagles fan, I said, no more potential. I just want to see it, and I haven't seen it. Uh, but at least one good point is the only player so far that the Eagles have drafted that's changing my perception is Devonta Smith. That might be me drinking the Kool-Aid, but if you were to ask me the past three, four years, anytime we drafted someone, uh, Rager, um, uh, Ortega Whiteside, Sanders, all these players, once we drive, I'm like, ah, well, that kind of sucks for them. But I'm finally finding myself saying, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I have a different feeling. And this is the first time I felt this in a long time. I really love the uh, the 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 comparison with like saying that uh, Philly fans like to think that they've got a Ferrari and Miles Sanders. And he, he might look flash on the outside, but he's definitely running with like a, a 769cc Fiat Panda engine. Isn't he? He's not. He's not got that monstrous engine from the Ferrari. He's really, really not running with much. Yeah, I just wanted to add in on the Devonta Smith point as well. Is that I was super annoyed on draft night about it. Like you said, it was to come and spite the Giants. I it it. I was there sitting there going, right, he's falling. He's like Jamal Chase is off. I thought Jalen Waddle was going to be the one that would come out third, and I thought he was going to be the one sitting there potentially at eleven. But once he got there, it was Devonta Smith. I was thinking. Oh, perfect. We can get like we've needed that sort of threat and just sort of look at it. So I think it's a great pickup for the Eagles. Like you said, I think you've had sort of that second it's like the the first coming before with like Rager and stuff like that coming in, early draft picks and not really like being serviceable, but out of your first round draft picks, you want more than serviceable. But I do think that Devonta Smith could be the player that becomes a top ten wideout. Right, we're gonna move on to the Cowboys now. Um Franchise tagged Dak Prescott, um, and I think he signed a nice chunky new deal. Now I can't, I, I, I can't remember what it was. I'm sure Alan will regale us the the details. George Shorty, um, he's uh, they've retained Jordan Lewis. Uh, they've lost Xavier Woods, uh, Chidobe Akize, uh, Andy Dalton, Joe Looney. Um, they've signed a safety, Keanu Neal, which is I think is a great pickup. Because they, you know, their defense is trash, and he's not. Although you know, losing Xavier Woods, I think they they may just about break even with that. Um, but they've also strengthened with the strengthened the edge significantly, bringing in Alden Smith and Terrell Basham. And obviously, the draft was uh, fairly good. Um, again, really, really, really focusing on the the defense. Um, obviously, Mika Parsons, uh, linebacker coming in, cornerback Kelvin Joseph. Uh, you've got safety. Oh, this isn't going to go well. Osa, Adizig. Uh, no, I, I, I can't. I literally have no idea how to say that. Adigazua. Adigazua. There we go. That's what I'm going with. And then Chauncey, uh, Chauncey Goldston. Um, eight out of Dallas's 11 picks were defensive players. And two or three of them are probably going to 
you, you're pretty looking at being starters. Um, so it looks like you're doing the right thing in uh, focusing on the defence there, Alan. Um, happy? Yeah, uh, I suppose. <laughs> um, you don't sound convinced. <laughs> well, you know what it's like with drafting. You, you can be super high on someone and then they get drafted and it just doesn't work out, whether it be system or injuries or whatever. Um, I mean, it was first time I think, ever that the Cowboys had taken six defensive players in a row in a draft. It was quite clear that it was the area that needed strengthening. Um Outside maybe the, the offensive line, which is getting a bit old, and the likes of Tyron Smith and, and some other heads there. Uh, yeah, I was okay. I guess you needed to sort of trust the process a little bit in, you know, Dan Quinn coming in as a new defensive coordinator. Okay, his Falcons were dreadful, um, but he's got pedigree. He used to work with the Seahawks um, in the Legion of Boom days, so he knows more than me about defensive in the NFL so I guess I'll sort of I'll give him a fair leash I imagine a lot of others will too um, Mike McCarthy of course inherited a team uh, and last year showed at times that he was a lot bolder with his, how he wanted to play um, you know probably took a lot more fourth down attempts rather than actually punting away uh, actually maybe too aggressive for me at times but uh, I, I guess if you live by the sword you die by the sword and you, you sort of know where you are in that respect Regarding some of these pickups, um, I'm afraid I've got to correct you on one of them. Um, we actually lost Alden Smith, um, who's now at the Raiders. Um, but he, he was decent last year, considering he hadn't played in God knows how many Oops. years. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Mika Parsons, I think, is a very interesting one. Um, Questionable pickup, though, isn't it, really? With all, the, with all this background. Um, well, from a personal perspective... Um, it's hard to comment. I don't, I don't really know all that much about it. And I don't think anyone really seems to know that much about it. I don't even think it's going to like a criminal charge or something. So, um, yeah, it's sort of a hard one to comment on really. But even just on the face of it from is that an area that the Cowboys needed the strength? And it wasn't their number one place they needed the strength. And they really needed the strength strength in a cornerback. They'd lost their starting corner in two consecutive seasons. And that's good for no team ever. Uh, so, yeah, just things didn't quite unravel how we hoped, which obviously led to that trading back with Philly. Um, and I think he could be, he's obviously an outstanding player, and I think he could be a really nice fit for the Cowboys. It probably wasn't necessarily the, the immediate need for us. But, yeah, on the face of it, I'm okay. Uh, and I think one thing to remember with the Cowboys is that there's definitely been quite a lot of change. I mean, there's quite a lot of people you mentioned that have left. And then there's also a couple of retirees in there in the likes of Sean Lee, who's been at times, you know, he was the defence for a number of years. If he wasn't playing, the Cowboys were just like a gate. Just just let them into the end zone. Um, don't even bother on this drive. Uh, and Tyron Crawford as well um, was a player that for a while was was decent. And uh, yeah, you know, that's what happens, isn't it? Players get old, they retire and you need to move on. So I, I'm not necessarily expecting the world from this defence from week one. Uh, but I'd like to see some improvement, especially sort of a few games in, and hopefully Dan Quinn does his bits and we start seeing the defence turning out. I'm really happy 
or I guess more in a fan aspect. I never want Dallas to be good, but if I was a Dallas fan, I'd be genuinely content with what had occurred because there were a lot of rumors leading up to the draft with Jerry Jones being like, yo, I really like Kyle Pitts. And I was like, Jerry, there's no way you're drafting Kyle Pitts. That's not happening right now. Because if you wanted to, you would have to trade up, first of all. And so when these rumors started to come out, and then I saw them take all those defensive players back to back to back with their picks, I was genuinely impressed. I thought Jerry's ego would get in the way where they would address the offensive side of the ball because he's like a flashy guy. But one thing that goes uh, unmentioned a lot of times is they always say, oh, when Dak was playing, he was on a historic pace. He was phenomenal. But on the other side, they lost those games and their defense was historically bad. They definitely improved down the stretch. But to kind of see them put all this focus on the defensive side of the ball, I think, okay, well, they're not as dumb as I wanted them to be. I was hoping that they would waste a couple of picks on the offensive side of the ball, but they did not, which is always uh, very nice to see. But at the same time, when they did take Micah Parsons, I was a little bit upset once again. Michael Parsons, superstar over Penn State, you know, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. I did not want him to go there. But at the same time, I said, wait, they have Smith and Leighton Vanderesh, even though Vanderesh gets hurt a lot, but they're they're pretty okay there. So when they took him, I was like, all right, well, we'll see what happens, even though he could be one of the best uh, linebackers in a couple of years. So uh, he definitely has a lot of promise for sure. I think they're playing the long game with Vanderesh. You're completely right. At times, it's been fantastic, but gets injured just so much. And, you know, they've declined his fifth-year option now, which, you know, um, Ross is all over. So he's always over fifth-year option um, decisions. Uh, but, you know, they've said that they want to keep Van Der Esch around longer, but it probably means they want to keep him around longer on the cheap, um, probably less guaranteed money, things like that. So uh, I'm not entirely sure a lot of people would entirely agree that Jalen Smith worked out how they hoped when he signed his long-term extension. So I, I think there's definitely going to be some changes in that linebacker room um in sort of the years to come but yeah I, I, i'm i'm all right with it and uh, nate the thing you mentioned about that prescott i think was around signing with jordan brand is that what you meant no hasn't he signed a contract with the cowboys oh okay well i, I just thought you meant that um literally this week he's, he's moved from um being sponsored yeah. by adidas to jordan. it's not it's not to do with football so i don't care <laughs> It's 100% to uh, No, it's not, it's not, not, to, not to do with his contract with Dallas or him playing football. It's about him getting... He's, it's about him making some money off of endorsements. I don't care. It's nothing to do with football, really. It's 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 vanity, and I don't give, I don't care for it. It's all we've got in Dallas. Ain't that the truth? Alan, do you think that the Prescott contract might be the reason that there's still some of these holes, though? It's like you sort of... Nate said that free agency list, and it wasn't... What, there wasn't a standout signing in that free agency list. Do you think the contract for Dak is the is the star signing of free agency sort of thing? And there's not much else. I don't know what Dallas's cap situation is like, but maybe the signing of Dak sort of impacting on the rest of the team. You sort of talk about it being it's like a little bit of a rebuild, sort of trying to restock almost rather than rebuild. I think they'd say Dallas, but it's just thinking like, is the Dak contract going to really hold them back in doing that? Yeah, I mean. The statistics show, don't, don't they? If you pay a quarterback a lot of money, you don't tend to win Super Bowls. Not that it's mainly difference over the last 25 years, as Nate pointed out before. Um, signing Dak was an important thing for the Cowboys. I think not only is he... He's a very solid quarterback. Okay, he's probably not top five, maybe just outside top five in the league. Um, but he's a good leader. He's a sort of 
he adds a different sort of credibility, I think, to the Cowboys. So I think it's an important deal to get done. But yeah, it does eat into the cap situation. The cap situation is bad. Uh, they recently announced the what the cap's going to be going up to, I think, for 2022. And we're still 10 million over, projected on that. Um, okay, deals can be reshaped, you know, players leave, trade, retire, whatever. Uh, but yeah, the, the cap situation's bad. And you look at some of the players that we've, the Cowboys are playing, paying, they're sort of paying players as if they're able to win now, uh, which is dangerous way to play. You know, apart from Patrick Mahomes, probably heard of him. Um, Dak's number two on the most paid quarterback list. Uh, value of contracts, number one for wide receivers is Amari Cooper. Num- number one for running backs is Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, you know, there's got to be something that's got to give at some point here. And you know, they've paid these so-called stars. Um, that you probably have to win a bit more to be a real star than the Cowboys have in the last few years. Uh, but I'm not really sure what they're doing there. Um, and I think they're in danger of, you know, the next couple of years sort of tearing quite a lot of it down just because it's not worked out and they've paid some of these players so much and they can't. It's only so long that you can tread water with cap, isn't there? And they're in; they've been treading for a while. Yeah, we're go, just going to have. I'll just have a look at some of the figures to do with the uh, the contract, um, and it's it's serious. He's again. Everyone gives me BS about the Washington quarterbacks. Dak's got to step up and prove it now. You know, he's got these big bucks and An enormous contracts. Enormous contract, Nate. I mean, one of the biggest in NFL history. He's got to step up. Twenty-one percent of the, uh, the the cap goes to to Dak, um, which is in. I mean, it's. I think that's the second biggest in the league after Aaron Rodgers. I believe that's what I, I'm. I'm sure that I'm sure it's right up there. Um, but it's it sets it sets records for in a number of ways. Uh, his first year money is a record seventy five million dollars, including sixty six as a signing bonus, which is also a record. The three-year money and guarantee of 106, 126 million, and the third, the four-year money of 160 million. Now, I'm quite happy to dump on Dak as being a trash quarterback. Um, I don't believe it. It just annoys Alan because it's completely and utterly inaccurate. So I'm happy to say it. I quite like Dak, but there's no way he's worth that money. Absolutely not. And Alan's right. Having having the second highest paid quarterback in the league, the highest paid running back and the highest paid wide receiver leaves absolute scraps for everybody else. Um, and that's why we've seen Pistol come in, in in free agency. And that's why they've, they've had to go to the draft so heavily on, on, on defense. It's, it just like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, in the grand scheme of things, I'm relatively new to football. I clearly just don't understand things the way Jerry Jones does. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add, because we get to pile on Dallas, so as an Eagles fan, this brings me great joy in my life. So I appreciate this segment right now of the podcast. But kind of talking about the salary cap and the situation at Dallas and all of you guys, I don't want to beat a dead horse. You're completely correct. But one thing that we're kind of discounting is how much Demarcus Lawrence is getting paid. He's getting paid buku bucks. 
as if he's still getting all those sacks like he was two, three years ago. I'm not saying he's not a good player. He's great. He's just not generating the sacks. He's great in the run. He's a great balance player, but he is getting paid far more than I think a lot of people realize. And also, a lot of players on their offensive line, like Tyron Smith, Lel Collins, all these guys are also getting paid top dollar at their position. I'm not saying they're at the top, but they're pretty high up there. So a lot of the times when all the Dallas fans I know say, oh, look how good our offense is. We are on a huge pace with Dak. I sit there saying, well, they better. They have to sustain that to justify the amount of money that is being spent on that side of the ball. It's not saying it's not impressive. It was very impressive to see what they're able to do. Once again, let's add the context that they lost those three, four games that Dak was balling out. But now that they have paid them, and paying Amari Cooper, paying Zeke, paying that offensive line, all these players, and of course drafting CeeDee Lamb, who's a phenomenal wide receiver in his own right, they have to sustain it. And I'm on the side of history. I don't think it's sustainable. What we saw was great, but there's no way that's sustainable. So one of the uh, parting shots I definitely want to ask Allen because I don't watch as many Dallas games as I should. I definitely watch a lot, but I don't. But the uh, last thing I definitely want to ask for sure was just uh, how you guys feel about Zeke because he obviously kind of fell off the cliff for a little bit. And Pollard was in the same situation as Zeke was, and he looked way more explosive. I'm not saying Zeke is over the hill by any means, but I know the league has not been kind to aging running backs. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Tony Pollard looked good um, numerous times he came in. Um, and I was more than happy when they rotate the running backs in some of those later games. Um, I think one thing that... It's important to remember is that Zeke did have COVID at one point, and I just wonder whether that did knock him more for six than maybe he or the medical staff realizing there's so even now there's still so many question marks about the impact and sometimes long term impacts of COVID as well. So I just wonder if that did impact him um, and his sort of his training and you know everything, maybe even mindset potentially losing Dak, you know. They're sort of tied at the hip, aren't they? Um, it's hard to think of one without the other at the moment. And there will, of course, be a time when that's not the case. But, yeah, it, it was an ugly season for Zeke. I I think he'll have a bounce-back year. I think he'll have more of a year that we'd expect from him in this coming season than the one just passed. If he doesn't have a bounce-back, then uh, he may find himself on the block or um, who, who knows. Um I don't think they're necessary. I don't think they'd cut him. I think he's still got value, even if he does have a bit of a dodgy season. Um, but yeah, I, I still like Zeke. I still think he'll, he'll be a crucial player for the Cowboys. And yeah, I'm, I'm confident with Zeke. I'm confident with Zeke. Uh, so now we come to the Washington football team. Um, they tagged uh, right guards uh, Brandon Scherf, who obviously is a is a big part of that line. And retained uh, a kicker in Dustin Hopkins, who you know I've never heard, so no, never heard of. But his uh, his snap count was uh, was high for a kicker, so that's why he's in here. And they've retained Cam Sims, who I think could be could be could could be in for a, a bigger year. Um, but obviously, you know they've signed a few guys. <laughs> they signed a few guys, so perhaps not. Um, so the signings this season um, signed left guard Eric Flowers, uh, right. That's uh, right. Uh, wide receiver Adam Humphreys, wide receiver Curtis Samuel, safety Bobby McCain, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Obviously, we can't we can't go through a list of who you've brought in without mentioning Fitzmagic. Um, obviously, also lost edge Ryan Kerrigan and uh, cornerback Ronald Darby, um, and then uh, the draft. 
linebacker uh, Jamin Davis, uh, tackle Samuel Cosme, who was a big one, and I was devastated that he went three three spots higher than the Colts uh, had because I was I was convinced he was going to come in and sit down at right at left tackle and we wouldn't need Eric Fisher. Um, and then uh, cornerback Benjamin St. Juice, uh, who again could be a uh, could be could be quite a great quite a good pick there for a for a third rounder. Um, he's 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 not he doesn't look like he's up there with the elite talent in that in that uh, class, but in a in, in in a year or two he could be he could be a a real boy. Um, so you're off season, uh, Andy. How's it gone? It's gone well. I mean, the, the main start yeah. of it, the, the whole talk was about obviously Fitzpatrick coming in and Washington having a, a, a bridge quarterback. Um, but I, if anything, the guys are going to bring us entertainment anywhere he goes. And uh, you know, watching the NFL last season, me watching a bit of the Dolphins and just watching him throughout his career, the guy likes to throw the ball down the field. And and you know, with the with the weapons we've got now, especially bringing in Brown, we've also got Terry McLaurin. Uh, we've got some great tight ends already in the team with Logan Thomas there as well. I mean, it's going to yeah. be our offensive line. Our defense was already very very strong, and our offensive line has just got even stronger. Like you say, we're putting um offensive tackle that you guys wanted um again that's going to shore up that um so i think the fitz uh ryan fitz magic um it's going to be entertaining and that's what we need in washington you know we need to open up this division um he's got the weapons now he's already said he wants to throw the ball down the field but you know with our various tight ends that we've got now logan thomas had a, a really standout season um last year we've now got brown out there obviously at wide receiver as well that guy's absolutely lightning quick uh, from everything i've seen of him so i think the off season i think it's been a good off season for washington the brandon sheriff thing that split uh, i'm not gonna lie when we've done our podcast that really split a fan base um i can't see him staying around i think he wants big big bucks and i mean he got offered an astronomical amount of money to stay at washington and for an injured player and let's be honest he's a tackle you know, he's like many. We had a guest, Keith, on our podcast. He's just a big dude who can push people. And the money that he got offered to do that for the Washington football team was out of this world. And I can't see him. St- I hope he does stay because if he is a very, very good player when when he's injury free. Um, so we need to keep him. We've still got some issues at left tackle that we kind of need to resolve. Um, but all in all, I'm happy with the I'm happy with the off season. If you look around the division. You know, out of all the teams, I'd say we've probably strengthened the most. I know the Cowboys are going on, but they've got they've got Dak back, but so he's got to step up big time. I mean, their O line still can't defend for you know squat. They're all old. Yeah, they're all old and gone. So I think Washington. I think he's gone with youth. I mean, there, there was there was, he was he got linked with a lot of veterans over the over the pre over the close season and uh, free agency. We got linked with. I think every every veteran around. But I think to be fair to, to Ron Rivera's credit, we've got that sprinkling of experience. But if you've only got to look at the, you know, we've got a linebacker, our first round pick, we've got we, our O-line's been shored up. We've got a good corner. Um, we're not quite sure what's happening with safety yet with Jonathan Allen, whether he'll, whether he'll step up to free safety. But Nate, I'm, honestly, I haven't looked forward to a season this much in a long, long time. And that's through everything. That's through the coaching. That's through everything that's gone on in the off-season. Yes, we still haven't got a name, which I know everyone gets on my back for. But from a purely football point of view, and just looking around the league, Nate, as well, I think the Washington football team are get, getting that little bit more respect that we finally deserve. And that's all down to one man. 
Yeah, so I think on Fitzpatrick, I think this is the perfect situation for him coming into the East in that you can write, if like there's always the Fitz magic and the Fitz tragic sort of persona. If there's ever a division that can ride through the Fitz tragic five games, it's the East. He could pick up a couple of wins in those games. They could still end up 10 and 6, 11 and 5 and win the division. Because I think we, as we sort of went through all the teams, we all sort of talked about like, oh, we're restocking, we're rebuilding. Washington's the only team out of the four that isn't doing that. They've sort of added key pieces. They've added veterans that are going to make their team better now. And so I think Fitzpatrick in this situation could be, it could be the best landing spot for him. And it's a good sort of setup for Washington looking at what was available in free agency. It's probably the best they could have got out of there without rolling out a 38-year-old veteran or drafting high in the draft and going with an unproven rookie. But I think this is probably the best sort of shot to help them have a chance in the playoffs this season. Yeah, I actually watch a fair share of uh, Washington games because growing up in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. is pretty close to me. And a lot of my friends happen to be Washington football team fans as well. Once again, uh, they... Washington football team is kind of that one team where I'm like, oh, that's a cute team. I hope they do well. Oh, they made playoffs. Good job. It's I feel bad because they deserve it. But for me, I'm like, oh, whatever. That's just so cute kind of thing. But when they pick up Fitzpatrick, I kind of sat up a little bit because that defense is for real. That defense is phenomenal. That defensive line will not give your quarterback any time. And then their secondary can capitalize on all the mistakes that happen when a quarterback has short time. So now give Ryan Fitzmagic a chance with a shorter playing field antonio gibson's fantastic of course they just got curtis samuel they have and of course terry mclaurin that whole team is built from the ground up pretty solid and i got really scared when washington hired ron rivera last year when that happened i was like shoot they got a competent coach they, they finally took a step in the right direction i'm scared and look what happened yes they made playoffs and it was not pretty losing record i understand nfc least haha i heard all the jokes before but let's not discount I, I shouldn't think of them as that cute team anymore their defense is for real they have a great running game and now they finally uh, yes fitzpatrick is old and he's not as good as everyone says he is i'll, I'll be the first to admit that but he is still good enough to be able to mm-hmm. capitalize on everything. Mm-hmm. And he is signif- he's a significant upgrade from the quarterback that had last year. And if they're able to limp into the playoffs with on the backs of a great defense, Fitzpatrick yep. will definitely make you pay. No, yeah. It, you know, he could throw three interceptions against the Giants and we could still win a game, you know. Well, maybe not the Giants because they're our bogey team, but maybe the Cowboys are the Cowboys are the Eagles. But um, yeah, it's gonna he's gonna win us some games where we think we're probably gonna lose. He's gonna cost us some games for winning positions. That's that's A the NFL, that's what happens, but B, that's him. That's if you look through his entire career, Nate, he just does that. He he's a risk taker, and this is he probably now is dancing in last chance saloon. I mean, I can't see him, you know, he's pretty much gone through the entire league and the teams. This is just a, it's it's a free, it's a free hit for him, Nate. It's a free hit. It does, doesn't Washington take him to literally half the league that he's yeah. been on? Uh, literally, we were the team that tipped him to over half the league now. That's Nate. wild, so, isn't it? That's wild. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So it's, it's a free hit for him, buddy. It's a free hit. I mean... we've already talked about on our podcast, everyone's like, well, we've only got him for a season. Well, if he goes lights out for a season and we win a number division, I can see him staying around and us, you know, looking at the draft next season, depending, obviously, hopefully I don't, I hope we're not drafting that high again. I think you might need someone like him for another season. Mm -hmm. So I think it's win-win for Washington. 
you know, yes, I think I 100% agree with you. He's going to cost us some games, but he's going to win us a hell of a lot of games that, yeah, let's be honest, the Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke is pushing hard in training camp from what I've heard. I speak to people in Washington all the time, so don't write him out yet as a, if, if you know, if it does go wrong for Fitz Tragic, Fitz Magic, then we've got Taylor Heineke as a, a really dependable backup. So it's looking good, mate. It is, yeah. Although Fitzpatrick is probably not, you know, the star. Um, he's got a really good supporting cast, which I think does make them a very dangerous team. We're looking fast. Curtis Samuel, Terry McCaw, and like you say, Humphreys, we're looking we're looking fast. And it, and it goes back to the quarterback that we've got. It's going to, for him, that's going to be perfect. If we're going to throw the deep ball, it's going to be perfect. But like I said earlier in the show, we've got some amazing tight ends. Teams are going to be looking down the field wondering where he's throwing the ball. When you've got a Logan Thomas coming out the backfield as a tight end, who's probably one of our, he's my favourite, but he won my, if we do it, the English quote, player of the season. He won it for me last season. he come out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, we are looking really, really dangerous uh, on, on offence now. Um, it's going to be entertaining, Nate, watching us. You know, Terry McLaurin, again, he's another season older and wiser. Uh, you know, he's coming to the end of his rookie deal soon, so we're going to have to end up paying him. Um, in my opinion, one of the greatest receivers. He's going to go down as one of the greats already. You can see that people in Washington are saying this already. So, so much, so much speed on the offensive side of the ball. So, again, that's probably why Washington are looking to be favourites for the NFC East. They're ahead of the curve with the rebuild, aren't they? They're they're they're, they're already a year into that rebuild where. You know, like the the Giants or the Eagles, they're 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 not necessarily. You know, the Giants maybe actually you could argue should be two years into to, into a rebuild, right? But Danny Dimes hasn't ended up being the guy, or potentially isn't the guy. So we're they're, so they're going to look how look elsewhere. Um, right, twenty twenty one season up is up ahead. Uh, we're going to start with the Cowboys um, defensively. Uh, Obviously, we've 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 said a lot about how they were historically bad, uh, breaking multiple franchises, franchise and a couple of league records for how bad they were. Um, but obviously, it's been the focus of the draft. Mike Nolan was let go, like you said earlier, Alan, um, and the former Falcons head coach and back-to-back Super Bowl appearance-making Seahawks defensive coordinator Dan Quinn has been brought in, which is a huge, huge upgrade. Um, What's it mean for the Cowboys in 2021? I mean, I'm optimistic. Uh, so, year two of Mike McCarthy. Uh, obviously, it's difficult whenever you join any new franchise. You're, you're taking up players that other play, other coaches have liked in the past. Still a lot of uh, Jason Garrett era players there. Um, I already mentioned that you know, they're paying players like they should be Super Bowl contenders. So, I mean... Why not? It's probably too soon, but um, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. They're in it. They're in a division which I think they can win. Uh I don't think they'll get a home get home game during the playoffs, but um you know, I'd like to think that with some of the pieces they've got on offense, they can stay healthy. The O line took an absolute battering last year. If that can be healthy, some of these players start clicking on defense. I think it could be an exciting season for the Cowboys. I'm feeling optimistic. Unless any injuries happen. That's the only thing. The Cowboys have a great starting defense and a starting offense. But I'm not sure there's a great defense. But 
<laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> but the thing is, you don't know how things are going to click. Um, and so I've already mentioned that I don't necessarily agree with some of the pickups that the Cowboys had in draft. They had 11 picks, and I probably agree with about four of them. Um, and mo- most of those are linebackers. So, uh, um, but, you know, th- sometimes things will work out. And, yeah, uh, I think they need to be optimistic that, they can at least go a little bit further than they have in years past. If they can, they need to at least make the playoffs and make it and win a uh, playoff game for me to really be happy and sort of see that growth. Um, I just wonder if it's too soon to hope for that. And if it is too soon, I'm not sure how much the team will be around given the cap situation in the years to come. So, Tom, we're going to move. We're going to move on. I'm just conscious about the amount of time we've got. Tommy wants to talk about the Cowboys. He loves the Cowboys. Let him roll. No, no. Um, next up, next up, we're going to talk about Philly. Um, it's just a dreadful season in 2020. Eagles are bottom, uh, but they came bottom of the worst division in football, though they missed out being the worst team in the league by, in the end, some margin. Um, there's been a huge shift in the front office, however, with Doug Pedersen um, being ousted and Nick Sirianni coming in. Do you think Jalen Hurts can be the guy next year, or you? Or are you worried that you're in for another torrid year? You know, I don't think those have to be um, exclusively different kind of paths. I believe in Jalen Hurts for sure. Uh, I've been on record on many podcasts and actually within my own community saying how much I like Jalen Hurts before the draft. And then he got drafted the Eagles. And then, of course, the memes came out like, all right, maybe he won't be as good as I thought he was because now he's a part of the Eagles. But... I feel like the big elephant in the room is this is a rebuild season. I know Philly fans will tell you otherwise. Say, no, they can do it. No, they're they're not. They're, they, they have two and a half first-round picks next year. And I say two and a half because of that conditional uh, first-round pick from the Indianapolis Colts. I feel like the conditional is Carson Wentz has to play 75% of the offensive snaps or 70% of the snaps and make the playoffs. So, fingers crossed, Carson Wentz, please be durable. And It's exactly. going to happen. You're gonna have so a first. we have three first round picks heading into next year. So in my opinion, next year for me, the win loss column throw it out the window for me personally, at least. I do not care. All I care about is how's Devonta Smith developing, how's Jalen Hurts developing, and how does our overall defensive scheme look like, and how does Sirianni's, um, you know, how is he doing as a coach kind of thing. And so for me, I have such low expectations. Uh, So even if, you know, people are to pick on me and be like, oh, they only won two games and we even added a whole new game at the end uh, this season. So that's even more embarrassing. I'd be like, I mean, you're not wrong. But at the same time, I like what I saw on the field. We have three first round picks. We're looking pretty good. So I have low expectations, but I'm still excited to watch some Philly ball. Tom, you're almost too positive for me, dude. Like, I get, I get what you're saying, and I I would secretly probably feel the same way, but outwardly I'd be like, this is going to be fucking rubbish next year. I'd really struggle to be so positive about it. Um, last season, I was really, really begging Frank Reich uh, towards the end of the season to take a step back and let Nick Sirianni play cool a little more. Um, I really like what he'd done, particularly with the running back room. Um in Indy. So I think you've got a great defensive guy there. Um, obviously, I don't know how things are going to work out with with the de- defensive side of things. Um, I really hope for the best for them because I think what I, I quite like, I quite like Washington, weirdly. I used to hate Washington, but I actually quite like them now. Um, and I feel nothing about Philly, uh, which is 
more positive than I than the, the Cowboys or the Giants. So like I quite like to see them come in and, and do well. And obviously they beat the the Pats in the Super Bowl. So actually I do quite like them a little bit. Um, so uh, I I think you could have a really painful season, but it's kind of an evil that you need to endure in order to to come out the other side. It's kind of, kind of like a almost maybe like a you know a phoenix rising from the ashes or an eagle rising from the ashes. I will season, add in real quick. Beyond. I think they will do a little bit better than a lot because everywhere I see they're like they're going to be horrible, rubbish, awful, terrible to watch. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But I feel like they will do a like they will be more surprising than not kind of thing. I still expect the worst being a Philly fan, but a little optimism. He says, you know, I still think they're going to be a little bit better than people give credit for because you never know what's going to happen in the NFC East. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to the Giants now. Um, so you ended up having a fairly decent run at winning the division towards the back end of the season. Um, obviously, fell short with, with Washington winning it. Um, in the end, uh, Russ, can you? <sighs> Why was Danny Dimes' twenty twenty season actually better than the stats suggested? I don't think it. I think the stats make it seem like it was better, but the eye test makes you seem that there was no real development between year two and year <laughs> one. And I, at this point, I'm pessimistic going into year three. It'd have to be a pretty significant jump to think he's going to be the guy going forward. Um, I see what they're doing with giving him every opportunity to do it before writing it off as a bust, but I'm, I really can't see a world. It'd be a huge change. It's just he's not had the presence in the pocket or anything like that. For a guy that's not built around, like he's not a Lamar Jackson, he's not going to burn you up for 100 yards on the ground every week. He can move a little. He's not Philip Rivers as well, but he can move a little. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't see. It's going to have to be a huge change for anything to happen in terms of his development, and then ultimately the Giants' fortunes are tied to him making that third-year leap. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think you're probably, I think you're probably right. I, I, I threw, I threw the question in in the in, in with the wording as I did to try and catch that a little bit, but but you're you're wise to it. Yeah, he, I think, I think his stats, his stats almost seem a little bit blated and a little bit padded from what you actually genuinely watch. Um, his quarterback play just isn't that intelligent is it I think that's the thing like when I watch him I don't feel like I'm watching a smart quarterback I feel like I'm watching someone who's quite good at throwing the ball sometimes yeah and you said about his stats being padded wasn't his QBR in the 70s no it's not even padded even if you say his stats are padded they're not padded in a way that makes it seem like he's a great quarterback like he's, he's padded I mean padded in comparison yeah. to year one right like like he's he's over 10 points higher which you know as, as a leap year on year is not a dreadful leap like that, that way padded but like 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 you said you know if you actually watch him you don't feel like he's any better than he was year one he got to play the cowboys defense twice though last year so i mean that's, that's where the padding came from right yeah <laughs> but yeah there's just no, like there's not a world i see where like he's what his QBR would probably be what twenty fifth in the I'm just making the stat off the top of my head to have a look would probably be the twenty fifth ranked, and that's probably where he's going to stay in year three. He's not going to be the worst. You're not going to be sort of watching him wondering what on earth's going. It's not going to be a Ben Denucci. We've got a third mention in. It's not going to be a Ben Denucci situation going into next year. But he's going to do what he does, and it's not enough. It's not like if you're wanting it to be a team with Super Bowl aspirations, he's not the guy. 
So he was ranked 20th via the ESPN metrics last season. 20th. He was only... He's, hang on. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I genuinely didn't believe that I was looking at 2020 then because he was only one place lower than Philip Rivers. Yeah, I, I'm amazed that 20th um, is as high as he is. I can't believe that it's that high. But... I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't believe that Philip Rivers was below, like, Matt Ryan, Teddy Bridgewater. To be honest, he had a pretty good season. I can't believe Darren Jones only threw for 11 touchdowns. It's only 10 more than Cedric Wilson or uh, OBJ. (laughs) So moving on to Washington, uh, obviously you won a division almost by default, the fact that kind of you all sucked last year. Um, Divisional uh, Washington obviously made strides moving forwards, but you still had a losing record. Um, however, you have made some huge signings as we as we've already discussed over the off season. Um, you brought in the ever popular but often overlooked Fitz Magic in to lead the line. Do you think you're 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 getting yourselves in a into a good position to make the division yours for the next few years, or do you think one or two of the other teams? are going to be able to stay close enough to you to prevent it. I think what Ron Rivera's done is very clever. He's gone for he's gone for youth. Uh if you like we touched on earlier the Cowboys are aging and they're aging fast. Um the Giants there are bogey teams so I'll always have something against the Giants. The Eagles aren't going to do anything. I'll be surprised if they win 5 games. They're not going to – I'm not really worried about the Eagles. This this soundbite might come back to bite me in the ass, but um, I think it'll be between us and the Giants, I think, have made a few strides. I'm not that worried about the Cowboys. So, yeah, in answer to your question, Nate, I think we are. I think we're investing in youth. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see once these rookie deals come up and we have to uh, start paying – people some more money but I think that's I think Ron Rivera's already uh, knowing the man the, the way that he seems to be conducting business he's probably already he's already thought about that mate so um yeah I think he's building something in Washington and you know, for the first time in a long time or me myself and Washington fans have actually got some hope that we could we could do something uh, great in the uh, in the capital city right we're gonna move it we're gonna move it on um Russ I want your final 2021 predicted standings for the NFC East. If you can stretch to predicting the record, remembering that it's 17 games or 16, give us those. But I want I want the uh, divisional standings for sure. Yeah, no problem. So uh, Washington win the division, 10 and 7. Uh, Dallas to come second, going 8 and 9. The Giants to come third going 5 and 12 and Philly to come bottom going 4 and 13. Nice. Okay. Yeah, great. Uh let's go to Alan next. Alan, what have you got? Uh so I'm back in the boys. Um got to have the faith. I've gone 11 and 6 for the Cowboys. Obviously starting with a massive win against the reigning world champions opening night. Never in doubt. Uh Washington second, just behind them at 10 and 7. Uh, although they do have a tougher schedule than the rest of us. Uh, then I've got the Eagles, third, with an 8 and 9. I actually think they're going to surprise a few people. Um, and I've got the Giants coming up the rear, 6 and 11, because when Saquon goes down week three, it's all back to the air and... Danny's scrambling for his life again. Bless him. So, uh, yeah, that's how I've got it. 
you have way too many wins coming into the, the East there. Way too many. But I mean, sure. Go for it. <laughs> I like I like I like the uh, I like the enthusiasm and the belief but So you mean across the board? Yeah, just ev- way too many wins for everybody. Yeah, I just think there's quite I can't remember which division it is that we play against. Uh, it must be the AFC West. So we've got to play the Chargers and the Raiders, um Broncos. I, I'm I'm not the Chargers worry me a little bit, but all four of those teams are stronger than all four of the teams in your division, other than maybe Washington. All four of those win most of those games. I disagree. I, I really don't rate what the Raiders have done in the offseason. Um, the Chargers, yeah. they might be going into a new system with a new head coach, although I rate just, uh, Justin Herbert a lot. Um, you know, They always find ways to lose games usually, so I guess it slightly depends on when they're playing them in the schedule. The Broncos... Yeah. Uh, Drew Lock, two-word argument, um, and yeah, all right. Let's let's forget the other one. But I mean, the the Broncos. You're right. Drew Drew Lock is that weak link, but you're not going to have any time on your offense is going to have no time on the field because their defense is monstrous. And I, to be fair, I forgot about the Raiders. You know, they they will probably split most of most. They'll probably have a an even split two and two. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a bit. Yeah, I, I, it's really boozy now. I'm thinking about the fact that you're playing in the AFC West. There's even more. I'm more sold on the fact that you've gone. You've gone really boozy, and I'm about to have a rethink of my standings whilst we hear Tommy's. Yeah, so I'm going to be making history on this podcast because I talk down on a lot of people that make predictions, kind of like what you said. Oh, there's that's too many wins. That's not fair for you to say. NFL is never this team at full strength versus this team at full strength. That never ever happens. If you were to tell me right now, all right, well, the Chiefs are going to play Dallas, but Patrick Mahomes just got hurt and he's not playing that game. I probably might have Dallas might having a chance to win that game. So it's in a lot of these kind of contexts where everyone makes all these predictions at the beginning and then people start yelling and be like, no, that's not true. I'm like, why are we getting so mad? That's just, it's impossible to predict the NFL, especially adding that 17th game. What kind of strategy are coaches now going to, are they going to purposely bench some people? Like, I don't understand what's going to happen because people might say, oh, it's just one extra game, but it is such a physical game. So with that being said, I will attempt to make a prediction, which I've never done before. So I have Dallas winning the division. Yes, I will make myself throw up after we get off the air. I have them winning, I think, around 11 games, so 11 and 6. I think Washington will come in second, 9 and 8. I have the Giants actually tied with the Eagles, both tied for last place. Yes, Uh, both at 6 and 11. Yes, that could be inflated, but in my opinion, anything can happen. So yes, maybe I'm putting a little bit too many wins in the NFC East, but one last parting words I want to put for the NFC East is, we're the only division where every single team has won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, you got to put some respect in our division there. We all hate each other, but we're very proud of how competitive because, hey, we have all of the like the biggest markets in one division. So it kind of works out pretty well. <laughs> uh, I mean, so I, there's, there's a couple of things to address there, Tommy. Jesus. Um, first of all, uh, it, it, it's a cool stat that you've got the only division in the, the the league that has a Super Bowl, that every single team is, is, is a Super Bowl champion. But also, you know, it's, it's been a sucky division for several years, so eh, who cares? <laughs> and you're, you're right, of course, like doing these predictions, they are bold, they are brash, and more often than not, they are completely and utterly inaccurate. Um, 
and that's sort of the reason why I want to do them because it it's a bit of fun and it's complete and utter nonsense, right? Um, awesome. Okay, so finally, uh, I just need your prediction for the divisional standings. I think we'll. I think Washington will win it. Uh, I can see us winning between ten and eleven games. Um, I think the Giants will push us all the way. Uh, and that will leave the Cowboys winning six games, seven games. And like I said, I'll be very surprised if the Eagles win five games. But you can, you have to promise me you cannot play this soundbite if they win the division. <laughs> so my predictions um, are having having realised the division you're playing and I've corrected my standings, the Washington football team going nine and eight. Uh, the Cowboys going seven and ten, the Giants six and eleven, and the Eagles three twelve and one. You're going to have another tie, mate. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah they're, I've got a good friend who's an Eagles fan, and he's he's worried, really worried. I mean, they just don't inspire anything at the minute. And being a Washington fan, when I chat to him, I'm like, "Yep, I, I've kind of been in this boat. I've, I've taken this journey. So, uh, yeah, good luck. It's it's not going to be easy being an Eagles fan next year. But hey, this is the NFC East, uh, Nate." Who knows what could happen? I mean, geez, you know, who actually? No one ever knows in the NFCs, but there has to come a time when uh, the, when the division gets better all for all four teams, you know. So uh, let's hope that it's next season that it's uh, my team, the Washington Football Team. Right, I think that I think that wraps it up for us. Um, obviously, you know, we're recording the, uh, the, the the Washington fan separately, so we'll we'll have that come edited in seamlessly. You won't even know he wasn't here. There we go. That's it, mate. That's everything. Sort of, sort of, sure, right? That's... God, it feels quick when there's only one, one of you on. <laughs> no worries, mate. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh... nah, that's all right, mate. No problem. Glad I could get the time to jump on and do it. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you, Tommy, for uh, for coming on. Yeah, no problem, for sure. And uh, Russ and Alan, uh, thank you very much, chaps. It was, uh, it was great to have you guys on. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. It's been a good chat. I'm, I'm saying thank you to Alan. Like, he's not a regular here and he's not one of the co hosts and that. Like, right. <laughs> I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to bring it up. I've completely cocked the uh, outro up. So uh, I'm just going to go with uh, next week. We've got the NFC South on the table. But until then, thank you all for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.